Hey, it's the good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit reminding you that nobody Patreons like we Patreon. So join us at C4FAP and go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and sign up at a level of your choosing. There's various tiers with various goodies for you. Somebody, Something that everyone gets at any level is you get to be a part of our Slack channel community. And you get early and ad-free access to all our episodes. But wait, there's more. So go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and check out all we have to offer. We urge you, sign up today. Aloha. This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Eisner-nominated writer-artist Ibrahim Mustafa. He is here to pr- promote Retroactive from Humanoids. It is a 136-page original graphic novel and is out in stores right now. Now, Ibrahim, I'm going to ask you two questions. First off, did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much. And then how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, and thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you, you know, sharing your time and your platform and, you know, being willing to, to have me on and talk about stuff. No, but thank you. Now, listeners, um, I'm going to, you know, and I already talked to Ibrahim about this, you know, um, and like, and it's just, um, I just want to share with you guys, you know, um, as much, you know, as the conference, as the interview goes on, um, I told Ibrahim to correct me if I'm mispronouncing his name, because sometimes during, during interviews, um, I sometimes slur my words <laughs> or it starts coming out wrong. So, so please forgive me on that. Um, so I just want to give listeners a heads up on that. Now, before we start our interview, I'm just going to go over Ibrahim's um, comic book history. And, I, and Ibrahim, feel free to add anything along the way. Sure. So, now, correct me if I'm wrong. The first um, comic that you wrote was The Pound, Ghoul's Night Out with Steven Nielsen, and it was a limited series from IDW in 2013. Is that correct? Uh, mostly. I, that one, uh, Stefan wrote it, and I oh, drew Stephen, it. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, uh, it, was, it, was, it was by him and a guy named Charles Pritchett. They kind of wrote it together, and then they hired me to draw it. So okay. that was my very first published work. Um, you know, through like a publisher, not just like printing it myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then you also wrote High Crimes with writer Christopher um, Saliba in 2015? Sabella, yeah. Sabella. He, so, yeah, Chris, uh, I actually, while I was working on The Pound, uh, Chris, I was, I was part of a, a artist studio. You know, there was like oh. six of us or something mm-hmm. in there uh, here in Portland, where I live, Portland, Oregon. And, um, I was about to finish the pound and it had been a, a, a trying experience working on that book. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and I was looking to do something next. And I, I asked a, one of my studio mates, Joe Keating, who's a very well-known writer in his own right. Um, if he knew anyone who's looking to pair with an artist because I wanted to, you know, do another project. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, what kind of stuff do you like to do? I said, well, I would love to do a crime book. And so um, he said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll think about if I know anyone. And then about two weeks later, he brought Chris by the studio and Chris, you know, he said, you guys should, you guys should talk to each other. And Chris said, Hey, I have this idea for a book I want to write called high crimes. Mm-hmm. And he gave me the premise and I was just like, Oh my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. incredible. 
Yeah. And so we pretty much, you know, from for, hit the ground running from there. Mm-hmm. So oh. that's yeah, my very long way of saying, yes, that's true. <laughs> I worked okay, on no, that. That's fine. And then I know you've, um, you've, um, you were a writer and artist on the, the James Bond solstice one shot from dynamite entertainment that came on 2017. Yes. Um, you, um, you also did, um, moon Knight annual, um, Moon Knight annual that came out, I believe in 2019. And it was part of the Acts of Evil event that was written by Cullen Bunn. And also too, um, and then also was it Matt, Matt Horak? Was he the inker or? Uh, so Matt came in and, and it, let's see, I, I can't remember what pages he did, but okay. you know, it was a real tight schedule and the script was a bit behind. And so, mm-hmm. and it was like a 30 page issue. And so mm-hmm. I, I let the editor know, yeah, I'm going to need a little, <laughs> a little assistance. So Matt swooped in to save the day and did, I think page something toward the last third of the book. He did like, I think maybe like four or five pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, and then Mike Spicer colored. Oh, okay. All right. Now I'm going to say before we continue, because um, me and, um, Ibrahim, we talked a little bit about that book because I'm in the middle of reading that right now. And, you know, I love, you know, I mean, like the first five or six pages, I love the artwork. And I told you, you, I, you know, I told Ibrahim, you know, I love your version of Kang. It's, it's, the, it's the same design, but he looks more menacing and scarier. <laughs> Thank you. Know. you. Yeah, I I was I, I we were talking before we started recording. I I really wanted to you know make him look menacing because like it is like a goofy outfit, right? Yes. Like it's it, you know it's of its time and and uh, but I think you can really make him look you know scary. And I and I was telling Jason I, the only time I went to San Diego Comic Con, uh, it was I think twenty sixteen or so, twenty fifteen. And um, there was a guy in an apocalypse costume, you know, apocalypse from X-Men. And he had, you know, like, I mean, it, it looked, he looked like he was apocalypse from the comic books. And like his, his face was like, you know, makeup, like rubber prosthetics. Like it looked like almost movie quality, you know, and, and he was seven feet tall. because he had some kind of platforms in, in, in the costume, whatever he was mm-hmm. standing on. And I was recording and I said to my wife, like, this is like, I'm legit scared of this guy right now. And he got in my face as he walked by and just said, you should be. And I was just like, oh my God. And I, I was thinking about him when I drew Kang because I was like, I, you know, Apocalypse is, you know, also kind of a blue skinned type of guy and like yeah. a Marvel villain. And I thought like, you know, what if he had that same level of menace to him? And so that's where that came from. Oh, that, but that is so cool. And then, um, you also did um, another humanized graphic novel that came out last year called Count. You were the writer and artist on that, and it's a science fiction reimagining story of the Count of Monte Cristo. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then also too, um, you're also going to be um, doing you're going to be doing the artwork on a Doctor Strange one shot comic book that's coming out soon. Is that correct? Yep, that'll be out April twentieth of 2022 so should be out by the time this airs i believe mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's it's called dr strange nexus of nightmares and it's coming out right around the same time as multiverse of madness you know the movie mm-hmm. um and it's just a fun you know kind of like story out of time uh 
Doctor Strange, you know, a little vignette in his past kind of thing since, you know, Stephen Strange is dead in the current Marvel mm-hmm. Comics run. So, uh, and that's written by Ralph Macchio and uh, that's right. mm-hmm. uh, colored by Niraj Menon. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask, did I miss anything? Oh gosh, I've done a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, I've done a ton of one shots. Like I did, yeah. I did a couple issues of DC's Doctor Fate in there somewhere. I did um, an issue of like the Flash CW comic. Oh okay. Um, I did a Vertigo book uh, with Justin Jordan called Savage Things. That was this really fun, like kind of like what if the government kidnapped like uh, psychopath children and turned them into Jason Bourne type operatives and you know, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, and I did, uh, I did a run on Mother Panic, uh, which was a DC young animal book. That's um, right. That takes place in the Gotham universe. It's called uh, Mother Panic Gotham AD. And it was kind of like a, it's almost like an Elseworld story. We got to do really cool takes on like sort of the future of Gotham and like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no Batman because he was, he disappeared as part of this event in that universe. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we had like a future version of Jason Todd and like a new young Joker and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, I also, I did more James Bond stuff in there as well. Um, Jeff Parker and I uh, collaborated on uh, an arc of James Bond origin, which is mm-hmm. like the the story of James Bond in the British Navy, like during mm-hmm. World War II before yes. he became a double O. So it's actually like in the continuity of the original Ian Fleming novels, which is mm-hmm. pretty amazing to get to do because I'm a huge, huge Bond fan. So yes, getting to, you know, kind of affect the continuity. And, and so Jeff and I co-wrote uh, one of those stories and then I drew six of the issues of that. So mm-hmm. um, there's probably, oh, I, I actually coming out in May, uh, mm-hmm. I have a book that I did a few years ago for a digital publisher, but it's coming out in print now. It's called Jaeger. Um, and it's a post-World War II story about a, a Nazi hunting spy who's like out for revenge on the, the people that had him in a Nazi prison camp during the war. That's so. right. I missed that one. I forgot about that oh, one. Oh, no worries, man. I, I have a hard time keeping track of them myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, sorry, I'm going off the cuff here because I, now there was one, because um, I got part of my information from, you know, um, from John Suntress Word Bloom podcast. Um mm-hmm. And listeners, that one is dated April 12th, 2022. Um, because you did um, um, something for Marvel, one of the Wastelander series, Wolverine. Yes. I can't believe I forgot that. That was just uh, a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, I did, okay. I did uh, Wastelanders Wolverine uh, with um, Stephen DeKnight, who uh, was the showrunner and uh, head writer, I believe, on the Daredevil Netflix Oh, okay. uh, season one and he worked on smallville and angel and a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. uh really fantastic writer so that was a lot of fun it was a, a one shot of the you know just like almost like a direct sequel to old man logan mm-hmm. um and then uh i also did some pages in black panther number three mm-hmm. which is like the legacy number 200 and then uh a couple pages to finish out that scene i started in that book in the following issue so oh, okay uh, yeah i was kind of the matt horak of that one i came in to help out when the you know mm-hmm. there was scheduling stuff so yeah i'm probably forgetting a bunch of other stuff but oh. that's uh <laughs> that's what i can remember now correct me if i'm wrong because um because um Wolverine is one of your favorite characters. Is that correct? Because yeah, I remember yeah. you said you had a lot of fun doing that one. Yes. Yeah. I love Wolverine. Um, from the first 
time I saw the X-Men cartoon when I was probably seven years old, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a Saturday morning on Fox. Yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, I saw him pop his claws and I just, I remember drawing him immediately. Like I got a pencil and paper out and I just, I think I still have it somewhere. I should look for that. But that is so I was just cool. so captivated. He's such a cool looking character, right? Yeah. And I was like, I have to draw him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was cool to kind of go full circle on that. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, off the cuff question. Do you have, let's say Marvel calls you as soon as this interview is over, you get a phone call Tom Brevoort's on the phone going, hey, you know, we're going to start up our graphic lines novel again. Do you have a Wolverine story you want to tell and draw? Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'd come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one sitting in me that I've been waiting to do my whole life or anything, but um, I tend to be a little bit more prompt oriented with writing, I think. Like if, you know, I've had a few uh, instances like with my James Bond work or with some stuff I can't talk about yet that I have down the pipeline. It's been like, Hey, do you have a story idea for this? Do you want to pitch us something for this? And I go like, yeah, give me 24 hours, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I come up with it pretty quickly. Cause I, I generally, you know, when you have a love of this stuff, it's like, it doesn't take much to get you going to get to, to get your mind racing and going, Oh my God, what if I did this? We could do that. Oh, yeah. that'd be so cool. You know? Okay. That's, that's pretty awesome. Okay. Now I'm going to continue on now. Before we like start getting into the interview, I want to give a big shout out to Hannah Bahedri of Super Fan Promotion, you know, for setting up this interview and also giving me an advanced copy. Hannah, thank you very much. Um, Ibrahim, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to that? Oh, yeah. You know, Hannah and uh, her uh, compatriot, David Hyde, who, who make up Super Fan Promotions together. Uh, they're just absolutely incredible. They're so mm-hmm. good to work with. They're, if, you know, if, anyone listening, if you have a, a, a comic project or, you know, something in that, you know, related arena that you're looking for some PR people to help you with, mm-hmm. contact Superfan Promotions because not only are they just like really nice people, but they're very, very good at their jobs and they take it very seriously and they help you get the word out and they're wonderful in to deal with while doing it. So. Yeah, thank you for for shouting them out. Jason, oh, oh yes, yeah. You know, they're they're some of the unsung heroes of of this kind of thing for sure. Yes, yeah. And then you know, um, for me because it's like you know they're that they're um that person behind the scene that mm-hmm. you know helps me with you know doing all this. So I just I'm very I'm a very appreciative of what Hannah, Pamela, and David do at Superfan Promotion. So yes, yeah, yeah, they're thing. wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so um, listeners, um, as I mentioned before, you know, I did get some of um, Ibrahim's um, information from John Centris's Word Balloon. Um, I've also gotten, uh, I've also got information from an article uh, from previews, the Previews World website that was written by Troy Jeffrey Allen that is dated uh, March eighth, um, twenty twenty-two, and also a very old podcast that you were on. Um, Ibrahim. It was the YouTube podcast Back to the Gutters with Jamie, Jamie S. Rich. And that yeah. Was, yeah, that that was a pretty good one. I loved that one. That oh, was, thank that you. Was really good. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, gosh, that was what, 2016, I think? Yes. Yeah, that was a long time ago. You know, yeah. And I have to say, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff, but when I watched, because what's so cool is I think, um, the interview was, I think, short and to the point. Sorry, I, you know, I just, but I mean, but it was like um, 
It's like 20 minutes, but the setup was, a, he had an incredible setup. He had like lights and he had a, looked like an actual camera there. You know, it was like, wow. Yeah. The, the guys who were doing that with him, uh, Ryan McCluskey, um, great guy. He's an actor and, you know, he, he has a lot of experience in film and television type of stuff. So they had a whole production set up and, you know, let me tell you, man, that room was hot. Okay. It, was my, it was my old apartment and it was my, you know, my spare bedroom that I used as an office at the time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we were, we were cooking in there, <laughs> <laughs> all those lights and stuff. And, and, and no, but like I said, it was, it was impressive. It wasn't just one big spotlight. It was like, I, because they had a wide shot of your bedroom and I think it was like six of those like TV or movie quality small lights. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I remember I I I got a um a little veggie tray at the store for you know to put out like my own little craft services and yes. nobody even saw it. I was really bummed about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, I'm going to continue on. Um, <laughs> I ate the veggies though; they were good. Uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, where can listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube primarily. And um, if you go to my website, IbrahimMustafa.com, mm-hmm. at the bottom I've got little icons and you know for the little Twitter bird and the Instagram camera and the YouTube mm-hmm. play button and stuff. And so you can find links to all that stuff in there if you want. Off the cuff question, you, yo, your um, YouTube channel, man, because I'm gonna I didn't know about that. So for the listeners, can you just tell us what, um, what your channel oh, yeah. is about? Yeah, I so I'm really into um, action figures and like customizing them. Uh, oh. So I've got a lot of stuff up about like like right now I'm doing a multi-part series where um, I'm making a Batmobile. Um, I'm using a, um, a a playset that came out when around the time Batman Begins came out, and it's shaped like the Tumbler, right? The Batmobile mm-hmm. from the Nolan movies, but it folds open to reveal like a little Gotham city playset inside of it. Mm-hmm. And so what I've done is I've, I've hollowed it out and I'm, you know, glued the pieces together and I'm, I'm, you know, changing the wheels and I'm adding all these details and stuff and I'm going to repaint it. So it's a whole process of taking this plastic toy and making it look like the, the Batmobile. Cause they didn't make one for that size of the action figures. Yes. Uh, typically, you know, the, like the six, seven inch action figures. Uh, well, they eventually made one, but it's like $500 and I'm like, I don't, you know, yeah yes right (laughs) (laughs) but this thing i got for like 30 dollars on ebay you know and Mm -hmm. so i'm just i'm making all the parts to go with it and replacing the old you know plastic toy wheels with like rubber you know monster Mm -hmm. truck style uh radio control yes tires and stuff so i'm doing that i you know i did a, a tutorial on how to paint an action figure head recently on there um i i took the new mcfarlane toys the batman figure from the new movie Mm-hmm. and customize it to make it look more accurate and you know swap the head and put a cloth cape on it and stuff yes. and so um and then actually coming up soon here i just did a, an indiana jones uh the last crusade commission for somebody and i i recorded myself drawing and painting it so i'm going to put that up as like a speed video of you know the whole thing so oh a lot of different stuff my channel is still pretty young so i'm still kind of figuring out like what people like the most on there but mm-hmm. um so far the action figure stuff has been doing really well so you know, it's kind of a, you get, you get your comics and drawing stuff on Instagram and then mm-hmm. that stuff on YouTube. And then Twitter is my musings on the industry and, you know, talking to people and getting to interact with other folks on there and all that. So yeah, it's kind of, I try to keep it, you know, mm-hmm. 
keep it, keep it spicy all across the board. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, I'm going to ask you, so where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in, primarily in Beaverton, Oregon, which mm-hmm. is most famously known for where the Nike World Headquarters is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was born in Seattle, Washington, and I, I moved around uh, a lot in the state of Washington as a, as a little kid. And then uh, we settled in Beaverton when I was about eight or nine. And mm-hmm. then I you know, grew up in the Beaverton, Portland metro area ever since. So, um, yeah. Okay. And then... um. Sorry, this is an off-the-cuff question because me and my wife, we visited Portland a few years ago. Oh, yeah? Um, yes. Um, I'm going to ask you this off-the-cuff question. It's a landmark bookstore. You know where I'm talking about. Howl's Books? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, how often do you go there? Uh, I used to go a lot. Uh, since the pandemic, I have only been once oh, yeah. when, oh, yeah. when things got a little safer. But uh, my wife goes a lot more than I do because she, <laughs> you know. She's a, a very, very avid reader. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a great place, man. You could go, you could go every day and still not, you know, get the full. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was, I think, yeah, because I, yeah, it was like um, for me and my wife, we said, okay, because we knew how we sort of kind of had an idea how big the store was because a friend of ours had told me about it. Yeah. And um, I think. We said, okay, three hours, but you know, but yeah, we didn't cover everything. Yeah. And I have, I'm sorry. Do you have to, can I tell you a very funny story about Paul? Oh, please. Yeah. Okay. So I went to their science fiction section. I bought some books there. I love it mm-hmm. because you know, you can buy either the brand new edition or a used version right yes. now. And that's great. Yeah. I love it. So for me, I was trying to look for the comics section, the, you know, the trades and stuff. Yeah. So I'm walking around, walking around, can't find it. Two hours are up. <clears throat> we go outside. Um, as soon as we go out the main entrance and we turn right. So we start, I think we start to go up the street. Mm-hmm. So we walk and I see, you know, we, in the window on the right-hand side, I could see, oh yeah, this is where the science, you know, you can see the science book, the science fiction book section. We walk a little further up and then, and then she goes, oh, look, there's the comic book section. Yep, yep. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, because the, and they, they, they rearrange that store maybe once every two years or something like that. And for a while, the comic section was in like a different room. So it's mm-hmm. like you, you had to and it was where the coffee shop is. Yes. And so, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because, you know, the windows on the street look into it and, and you physically have to walk into what looks like it's just for coffee. Yes. And then that's where the, the comics and graphic novels are. So yeah, now they've, they've changed it up and they're in a different spot. And every okay. time I go in there, it's like, wait, where is it now? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you're right, man. I mean, it's so cool to be able to find, you know, cause their big claim to fame is that they, they do buy, sell and trade stuff. Right. Yeah. So you can bring in, you know, a stack of books and they'll give you store credit. And so it's, it's cool. You can find hard to stuff or you can find hard to find stuff in there because, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody brought it in and it was a rare thing or whatever. So yeah, it's always a, it's always a little treasure hunt in there. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I'm going to continue on. So, yeah, um, no worries. So, okay. So what was, or were your first um, comics that you read? And it could be like Sunday comics, manga, a monthly or a trade paperback? Oh, I can tell you. I know exactly what my first comics were. It was uh, Detective Comics. I think it was number 
28. I don't remember the exact number, but it was uh, it was a, like an old um, Marv Wolfman. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say Jim Aparo and, and Dick, Dick Giordano issue. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, you know, with the same like store trip or whatever, my parents got me John Burns and Man of Steel number two. And it came with an audio cassette where oh. you could play like, and it had sound effects. It was like an audio play of the, oh. of the comic. And so that was, I think I was probably about four years old. And that's partially how I learned how to read was, mm-hmm. you know, listening to the, the dialogue and then pairing it up with the word balloons. Yes. Um, and it's funny. Cause I think if I had gotten man of steel number one, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Cause it didn't have like full on Superman in it, but mm-hmm. Man of Steel number two was the one where he was like Superman now and he's yes. flying around the city and you know mm-hmm. saving people and doing that stuff. So yeah, that that set me down the path, man. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> Superman has been my favorite ever since, and that was that was kind of the key moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so Drew, the comics for fun and profit co-host, he submitted this question. What was your first comic shop? Uh, the first one I regularly went to was one in Beaverton called Things from Another World, which is part of a chain that Dark Horse owns. Oh, okay. Um, but and I was I was probably nineteen when I went there for the mm-hmm. first time, because oh. um, I didn't really read. You know, I mean, I, I read comics as a kid, but I would get them at the grocery store. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously they stopped doing that. But I do remember there was a there was a store in I lived in Walla Walla, Washington for a bit. Okay. And there was a store there, and one of my other early comics was an issue of uh, Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh. uh, and I got it at that shop. I actually just found that issue again because I put it on Twitter and was like, "Does anybody remember this old Turtles issue where this thing happens and blah uh-huh. blah?" And somebody was like, "Oh my God, I think about it like once a week. That you know, it was this one." Mm-hmm. And then he and I both bought it from the same eBay seller and read it, and we're like, "Dude, do you remember this scene?" You know, so it was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. That is so cool. Sorry, off the cuff question because um, I know you mentioned Seattle, um, Pike's Market, um, Golden Age Comics. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, down you, in the underground. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been there in years, but I, I used to go every time I went to Seattle. Um, oh my god. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool store. I remember I I bought a, a Superman action figure there once, and it was, so, you know, I was so I was so proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry okay um and then you know so all right so superman man of steel number two got your reading to comics how did your journey start started working in comics yeah i um so it kind of goes back to smallville when smallville was on tv mm-hmm. um i i had been a superman fan since i was a little kid i grew up watching the christopher reeve movies like so many mm-hmm. did you know yes um and when smallville came on the air i was like oh cool like we haven't seen something with superman and you know since like the lois and clark show and that was you know we didn't have the technology to make it look really cool back then and yes and so here was smallville and they were doing the you know the bullet time type of stuff and you know Mm -hmm. i was super into it and so uh that reignited my my love of the character and then um somebody gave me a book that was called the complete history of superman Mm-hmm. and on the cover, you know, I had a dust jacket, and on the dust jacket was, I'm looking at it right now, that's why I'm looking off, but... <laughs> no, no, that's um, right, yeah. There's a, they're like an old Siegel and Schuster style drawing of Superman, mm-hmm. and then you pull the dust jacket off, and it's that same image, but it's painted by Alex Ross. Oh. 
and I was blown away because I was always really into like realistic versions of cartoony things when I was a kid. Yes. And here was this painting of a guy who looked like, you know, Superman, if he were real, not an actor, but Superman, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just blew my mind. And I, that sent me down a rabbit hole of finding out who he was and Mm -hmm. what he was using to paint this stuff. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, I just, from there, I discovered like Kingdom Come, and then I, mm-hmm. you know, I saw oh, this Mark Wade guy can write, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I picked up Superman Birthright, and mm-hmm. it was just down the rabbit hole from there. So that was, you know, I was probably nineteen or so, and maybe twenty, and I was like, oh my god, I want to do this. Like, I want to, because I always loved drawing since I was a little kid, and yes, you know, I loved comics when I was young, and so it just kind of seemed like a natural fit. Like, well, I love this subject matter, and I love to draw, so mm-hmm. let me figure out how this works, and then. So from there, you know, I, I started to study up on how comics are made and, and, you know, I would find scripts that were printed in the back of like trade paperbacks to mm-hmm. practice from and um, eventually, you know, built a portfolio, started doing conventions and, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is. Um, off the cuff question. Have you ever met Alex Ross in person, you know, like at a convention? No, or- I haven't. Okay. The The closest I've come was his uh, art rep, Sal Abinati, was at mm-hmm. the San Diego that I mentioned earlier that I went to. And they had the big Alex Ross booth and they had uh, a portfolio with some of his like pencil layouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I flipped through those and drooled over them and thought like, can I spend this much money on a pencil drawing? Probably not, but yes. mm-hmm. you know. So I've never met him, but I have seen a bit of his work up close in person and it was mm-hmm. pretty amazing. That's so cool. And of course, now with humanoids, I work, you know, fairly closely with Mark Wade, who yeah. Kingdom Come, and so that's a that's a pretty cool thing because Mark is also up there on my, you know, comic book Mount Rushmore of you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> so now, how excited were you to see your name, um, on your very first comic book, like printed, out on the stands? Uh, I was pretty stoked, man. It it was the very first time I had anything printed was like a, I met these guys online and they were looking for an artist and I was just trying to get published. And they, mm-hmm. they were like, Hey, we're going to, I think, I don't know if they ran a Kickstarter or not, but they were like, we're going to print this. Mm-hmm. So they sent me copies of it. And, and uh, you know, so that was the first time I got to see my name printed and it was, it was surreal. I mean, I knew that it was like, you know, anybody could do this if you have an internet connection and you know mm-hmm. like the money to have it printed so there was a little bit that like it wasn't you know my name on like a dc thing or marvel mm-hmm. or something but still having work that i did printed and and you know in several copies in my hands with mm-hmm. my name printed on it like it was it was pretty cool i remember picking it up at the post office and sitting in my car and like hurriedly opening the box and just mm-hmm. going ah <laughs> you know smelling the the paper yeah. and the ink and stuff yeah that's pretty awesome that is so cool thank you thank you for sharing that moment that's, oh yeah no thank you for cool. yeah jogging my memory on it i haven't thought about that in a while <laughs> great so i'm gonna move on to retroactive mm-hmm. um i'm gonna read one of the quotes that um steve lieber um the artist currently on one star squadron and also he did work on superman's pal jimmy olsen now he gave a quote for the book um, quote, a rock solid time travel 
thriller with impeccable action sequences and real human emotions. And that is true. Oh, thank you. And yes. big shout out to Steve Lieber. He's, he's, you know, a local, uh, you know, statesman of comics and, uh, you know, an industry legend. And we were super lucky to have him mm -hmm. say nice things about the book. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going off the cuff here um, because I forgot to mention them. Um, how did you guys get Phil Hester to write the introduction of the book? Oh man. Yeah. We just asked him and he said, yes. And it was mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> it fills another, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you can say, I mean, we're obviously we're doing video for this. I've mm -hmm. got a Phil Hester piece above my drawing desk here and I'm a big, big fan of his work. And he's uh -huh. another very much like Steve who, you know, very experienced in the industry and uh, you know, like giving with, with his knowledge and, you know, uh, when Humanoid said, hey, we want to have a forward written for the book and, you know, who try to think of somebody who would be a good fit. And, you know, I'm, we were talking about, well, who's done time travel stuff that could be good for this or blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And I just thought, you know, like, can we ask Phil Hester? Because like, I really respect him. And, you know, he's a he's a fantastic storyteller, both a writer and artist. And, mm -hmm. and it would, you know, it would, that's a name that would mean a lot to have for me. And, you know, and, and he, he was kind enough to agree. And, he, you know, said really amazing things about the book and, uh, you know, which were incredibly humbling. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a lucky get. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. All right. So no spoilers for our listeners. What is the story about? Yeah. So my elevator pitch for it is James Bond meets Groundhog Day. Um, yes. It's, it's, you know, a, a near future story where, time travel exists but it's a secret to the general public and it's controlled by uh global intelligence organizations so there's you know like a cia of time travel here there's an mi6 of time travel in britain etc cetera, etc cetera. and um uh our main character Tarek abdul nasser is a an agent in this uh the bta the bureau of temporal affairs which is mm -hmm. the u.s branch um, and their job is essentially to go back in time where, uh, you know, like say Russia goes back in time and tries to, you know, stop the Kennedy assassination from happening because yes. JFK was soft on nuclear war stuff. And so mm -hmm. that could weaken the U.S. for the future and give Russia the upper hand. Right. So the BTA's job is to go back and like stop, you know, these people from preventing his assassination or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they go through time essentially and try to preserve the timeline and then mm -hmm. they'll also go back and like avert terror attacks and disasters and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so while chasing this sort of unknown anomaly that's showing up in the past, uh, Tarek and his partner Lucia uh, come across um, some, you know, some bad guys who have uh, new technology that's yet unknown to them mm -hmm. and uh, they stick Tarek in a time loop. Mm -hmm. to kind of keep him out of the way so they can try to execute their plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he has to basically like live this same day over and over again until he can figure out how to get out of it mm -hmm. and then get back to his own timeline and try to stop the bad guys. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Now, um, I'm just going to, so how did, how did you come up with this story? How did you come up with this idea, incredible idea? You know, well, I love time loop stuff. Like Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies. I love mm -hmm. Edge of Tomorrow, the, the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt movie. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Edge of Tomorrow was like the first time I saw where you could actually like do a more serious take on it. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I discovered a show called Daybreak that was like an old Fox show that got canceled mid season mm-hmm. and then aired somewhere else, the remainder of it. And then, you know, you can find it on DVD some places online, but um, it was, a, it was a, a similar kind of thing where like a, a detective in the LAPD was like framed for a murder. And so mm-hmm. the day kept repeating until he could solve it. And I just love that premise and that subgenre. I mean, I love time travel in general. And so I wanted to do something that had the best of those, you know, both worlds. Like, because usually you get time travel or you get time loop. You don't get both. So with Mm -hmm. retroactive, I wanted to do like a time travel story, but also has like within it a time loop element to it. Um, And so I just kind of thought like, well, what what genre would I want to do that in? And mm-hmm. I'm such a big fan of espionage and, you know, James Bond and stuff. So it was just yes. kind of an easy, like, oh, I could, I could figure out a spy story, mm-hmm. how this, how would a time loop happen in a spy story? And then that, you know, led me down the logic rabbit hole of like, mm-hmm. well, it would be an organization of, you know, time police kind of thing. And yes. So. Mm-hmm. And then, and I'm not spoiling anything, but there's a little bit of a touch of Indiana Jones in the beginning sequence that, you know yeah i get you know it's funny you mentioned that i i i've only just seen like i just i just did a indiana jones uh last crusade commission for somebody yes. and i just watched that movie for the first time a week ago to do this commission mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah i mean you know the the opening sequence takes place in uh in nazi occupied france mm-hmm. in 1939 1940 yeah. i don't remember exactly um and yes you know the 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 outfits you know the kind of tweed suits mm-hmm. and the flat caps and stuff yeah i can t- definitely see you know the kind of nazi mm-hmm. punching yes. aspect of that yeah <laughs> so um i'm going to touch up well like i said i'm not going to give out too much information or spoil it but i'm going to get back to that when we start talking about um when you're drawing out the panels and stuff mm-hmm. um i just want to ask you can you for the listeners, can you tell who the main character, well, you already mentioned one of the main characters, but like, you know, who are the main characters? Um, what's their um, background, um, their characteristics and so forth? Yeah, so so Tarek is the main character and he is, you know, a, a fairly young guy. Um, uh, he was part of like a CIA counterterrorism uh, unit yes. and then uh you know was recruited for this job at the the bta um and so when we first meet him he's basically in training on on this mission to world war ii france Mm -hmm. uh with avery woodard who is is his like you know sort of i guess partner slash uh and then eventually you know we jump a little bit forward in time and avery's like the the sort of um special agent in charge of this Mm -hmm. unit um and so yeah you know Tarek is he's uh he's taking care of his mother who's you know got like kind of alzheimer's dementia setting Mm -hmm. in and so you know he's he's trying to deal with this like secret job while taking care of his mom and he's getting you know guff from his sister who lives overseas about how you know if he's doing a good job taking care of their mom or not and Mm -hmm. you know he's trying to find like a like a assisted living facility for her and she's feeling resistance about that because she doesn't want to leave her home and so Mm -hmm. you know it the story deals a lot with kind of the cyclical nature of time and Mm -hmm. its effects on you know the brain and people and and you know as Tarek finds himself in this time loop he's kind of like wondering am i 
experiencing like dementia uh symptoms mm-hmm. is this yes. hereditary is it just time playing tricks on me you know so um yeah he's and he's also very conflicted with what it is he does for a living right like mm-hmm. he starts off being very kind of altruistic and idealistic and thinking like yeah we're doing the right thing mm-hmm. and the longer he's in this job he realizes like maybe we're not maybe we're mm-hmm. actually making things worse you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so he has to confront that and mm-hmm. uh and you know what it could turn him into essentially yeah. um sorry i'm just gonna add this part here because after i read the story to me Tarek is a man of duty honor because he's still you know even though he's got he's trying to do his job but yet you know and he's you know he's arguing with his sister hey why don't you move back home you know why do i have but yet he still goes and visits his mom yeah so you know he still has that love for he has that family honor and also um he has integrity too to his job, you know, and that, and that's, you know, that, that, that's one of the cool things I love about this character, you know, but yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's important. You know, we all would like to think that people who have jobs that are super important like that Mm -hmm. uh, are not terrible people, you know? (laughs) So, uh, but also, you know, everyone's flawed and and human, right? So Mm -hmm. I wanted to, to show that he's somebody who tries to do the right thing. Yes. Um, but you know, still has to deal with like, you know, cause one of the things, uh, and this isn't really a spoiler, but you know, in the book you find out like his father has passed away. Right. Yes. And he's training, you know, a new recruit, Lucia, who we meet and, you know, he's telling her like, we can't use this for our, our own personal yes. stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But you realize when he takes her on his, their for her first like time jump or drifting, as I call mm-hmm. it in the book, um, you know, she's like, Oh, is it, are we going anywhere particular? He's like, Nope, just an ordinary day, you know, 15 years ago, just to get your mm-hmm. sea legs kind of thing. But you realize like, he's going to see his father, like from a distance, you mm-hmm. know? So he's, he's operating within the rules, but he's still human. And, you know, yeah. there's still that bit of, you know, sort of human selfishness that he kind of succumbs to there. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, also in the book, as you mentioned, like, Avery, you know, we see him in the beginning of the book kind of like training Tarek. And then, you know, time has lapsed and he's like the guy in charge. But in between, we see um, Avery has some type of um, numerical code he keeps saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, can I ask, can you talk about that? Or is it, is it going to be a yeah. little bit of a spoiler? No, not at all. No. So, um, yeah, Avery has like a number sequence that he recites to himself. Yes. And, uh, you know, early on in the book, Tarek tells him like, you know, that he's kind of having doubts and he wonders like, you know, are we doing the right thing? I mean, you know, because the opening of the book is like, they have to like stop someone from killing Hitler. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, cause I kind of want to answer the question, like, would you go back and kill Hitler if you could try mm-hmm. time travel? Yeah. You know, cause that's the first thing everybody asks. Right. And it's like, well, let's get that off the board here and yes. show you like how that works in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Avery, you know, gives this card, this little business card size paper to Tark with this number sequence on it. And he says like, this is what I use to, to keep things straight. Like when I, if I mess up the number sequence, that tells me that like, this is having an effect on my brain and mm-hmm. it might be time to, to think of taking a desk position at, at yes. work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's also, you know, uh, something for the audience to follow along with so we can kind of 
see what Tarek is going through and if he's keeping the numbers right and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a way to check in with him and, and see how he's doing without him having to say it out loud. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. That, that's pretty cool. Um, the other thing I also noticed is, um, is that I always see circles every so often, you know, and at least in the beginning of the story, such as, you know, um, Isaac's um, sniper scope is a circle because when Tarek goes back and, you know, back to try to stop Isaac, his scope is like, is different. It's like a, like a, some type of square type scope or something. Um, I also noticed that when um, Tarek is in the, um, the, um, the locker room of the, the bureau, the, um, the, the bench in the locker room and the lights in the locker room are also circle. Mm-hmm. Was that intentional or is yes? That... And and let me tell you, Jason, of the all the people I've spoken to who have read, you know, preview copies and stuff, you're the first person to catch it. <laughs> so um, and, no, it's great. I I it was very intentional. There's throughout the entire book, there's circular motifs everywhere. Yes. Um, I mean, the sign of the place where he takes his mom to live is a circle. Yes. The, you know, headlights. Um, like you mentioned, light fixtures, panels, uh, you know, there's one panel where he throws something down a sewer and that's a certain, you know, so yes, yeah, yeah. I, I put them all throughout the book. I mean, there's even, there's even a, a, a page where probably nobody will ever catch this, but like the elements of in just the drawings and the panels kind of create a circle, you know? Like, yes. I know which uh, panel you're, I, which page. Yeah. Yes. So there's a, uh, there's a lot of that stuff in there because, um, you know, I wanted to kind of like play with the visuals and, and put like sort of, you know, sub visual subtextual images in there to show that like, you know, just the kind of the cyclical nature of time, you know, mm-hmm. the looping nature of the story. Like I just thought it would be a cool element to kind of like really sort of hammer that home, even when you're not noticing it. Yes. No. Yeah. Because especially when you were saying like, you know, when he's throwing something down the sewer, that's like, that's right. I know which panel you're talking about. I was like, oh, yeah. that's right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I also, I think one of the fun things about time travel stories is the, the rewatchability, the rereadability, et cetera, of them, you know? Yes. And so I wanted this to have an extra layer when, because people have told me like, oh, I wanted to go back and read it immediately to, you know, see all the parts and, you know, and, and so I wanted there to be another thing that people, once you're not as focused on reading the story for the first time, mm-hmm. you can have something else to look for, you know, on a reread. Oh, that is pretty cool. Thank you. Um, now, on the cover, now, you know, they, there's a circle with an arrow. Now, is that a variation of that? I can't pronounce the term, but it's that serpent dragon eating its tail yes oh. the ouroboros i think is how you I say, say it. i think that's it yes. yeah it's one that i've read but i've never heard said out loud mm-hmm. yes <laughs> yeah absolutely in fact uh when i was trying to think of titles for the book that word was you know i i was google searching different like translations of it and things like that i you know um yeah that was that's absolutely kind of my sort of like more modernized uh you know like glyph version of of that symbol yeah. yeah no but that like i said that was pretty cool because i was like oh that's a pretty cool design and i'm going thank you 
I was going, wait, that looks familiar, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's actually, so throughout the book, whenever a, a day restarts, like we have that symbol in there to, to let the reader know, like, you know, cause typically, I mean, aside from the, the manga adaptation of all you need is kill, which is mm-hmm. the, the book that edge of tomorrow is based on. I don't think there's been like a time loop story like this in comics that I know of. I mean, I could yeah. be wrong. Um, and so, that left a lot of fertile ground for thinking of ways to, you know, use the language of comics to Mm -hmm. to tell this story. And one of those things was like, okay, well, we don't have audio cues, you know, like, like in um, Groundhog Day, when the day restarts, Sonny and Cher starts playing. Hey, welcome everybody live on the, you know, the radio guys and stuff. And so because I don't have that option in, Mm -hmm. in comics, I had to think of something that would, give that same cue to the yes. reader of like we're starting over you know? yes mm-hmm. and actually one one more thing about that is on the cover you mentioned it's you know it's on the cover i designed the cover in a way that like it's almost that that circle arrow is almost a, a direction where the cover is telling you spin this right and if oh. you turn it in the direction of the arrow it's like a yeah. different image upside down mm-hmm. you know so yeah just another facet of playing with the medium and trying to you know do what only comics can do no but and then the other thing too with the cover and it's peppered throughout the book is reflections Mm -hmm. that's what i yeah that that was pretty cool okay thank you yeah that that um well i guess i should let people see come you know stumble upon those themselves but yeah yeah, there's there's some little like moments where you see a reflection and you might go wait what is that yes and then later it comes back into you know yeah okay all right now um drew from comics for fun and profit he submitted another question like when you wrote this graphic novel you know did you because um you wrote and drew this original graphic novel did you already have a full script before you start to do any you know doing any artwork or yeah yeah because generally the way it works is you you get paid for the script first and then you know you you and also you know the the publishers like to know what they're going to be putting out right so okay. it's kind of like uh they want to make sure that everything is all your ducks are in a row before you you get to drawing especially with um with a book like this that's so like mm-hmm. kind of you know time travel gets complicated yeah. and so like you know we really made sure it was all airtight and nailed down before oh, okay. i got going on it yeah I'm sorry, listeners. That was my phone that went off. It's me calling from the future of 2029. <laughs> just, we want to let, um, I just, and it was me texting myself saying, Ibrahim had just won an Eisner award. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just got out of the movie for, uh, for retroactive. And uh, yeah, he's calling yeah. me. I'm on my yacht. And uh, <laughs> no, but I'm sorry about that. I, I thought oh, I had no worries. Arms off. Uh, you know what, man? It's it's 2022. We've all we've all had the phone moment, right? Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Um, I love your art style in the book um, because, you know, to me, like in some of the close-up shots of the character's face, you know, it 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 kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike Grell's style, and I'm talking about Mike Grell's style from the Longbow Hunters in your work. Um. You know, like I said, it's great. It, it's Thank the you. details, you know. Do you want to comment on that or anything? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, I appreciate that. And that's, you know, to be compared to Mike Grell is, a, is an honor. Um, I, 
you know, Longbow Hunters is still on my to read list. But it's funny you mention that because for two reasons. One, uh, Ramon Villalobos is one of my best friends. He's a comic book artist. He read it recently and he, he told me like, dude, you, I think you would really like Longbow Hunters. Like it's right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike Grell, to my knowledge, is, is the only other comic book uh, creator who has both written and drawn a James Bond story. Yes, that's yeah. right. And so, and actually he's done two. He did um, uh, Permission to Die, which yes. was, you know, like uh, an original story. And then he also uh, adapted the, did the film adaptation of License to Kill, which is the Timothy Dalton 1980 yes. six Bond movie. Something um, like yeah. So uh, yeah, the, the Mike Grell comparisons are apt for sure. <laughs> Okay, thank you very because I know he did the permission to die. I remember buying those. Mm-hmm. Um and I think he did the Ian Fleming James Bond version where I think there's a scar over his eyes or like a, a light scar yeah. over the yeah. you know, which is yeah, yeah, I mean Fleming's Bond has a it's a described as a three inch scar under his left eye. Yeah. And so yeah, my girl was definitely doing like the Fleming version of Bond. And but, and permission to die, it reads like it's a, uh, you know, Ian Fleming novel very much. Yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna say I didn't know he did the um, the license to kill adaptation. I didn't know that. I found that out a few years ago, and I found a hardcover copy of it uh, online, and it, it's gorgeous. Yeah, oh, and it's God. so cool. I mean, Timothy Dalton's my favorite James Bond, so yes. like, to have Mike Grell having drawn an adaptation, it was really really cool. I got to No, I got to find that. All right. Um, so I'm going to continue on. Um, so uh, um, what I, what I wanted to mention was the beginning, the opening sequence of retroactive is to me, some of the panels very felt very cinematic and the details were incredible. And then, like I said, when I mentioned, because we talked about, you know, um, the beginning opening sequence takes place in the 1940s. It kind of gives me the little feel of it's a little bit of Indiana Jones. It, it has that um, little bit of touch of Indiana Jones flavor in. Yeah, there. absolutely. You know, um, and then now I'm not an artist, but you know, when you were doing this book, um, when you're figuring out drawing some of, you know, the panels, were you thinking in a cinematic scope? Yeah, uh, that's a really great question. I I I really love uh, the things that movies do. You know, and yes. I love the way they make me feel, and I try to inject a lot of that into my illustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I really I think that comes from reading The Losers by Andy Diggle and Jock. Oh yeah, and Jock's work in that was so cinematic, and I think that was. You know, I read that early on in my sort of like comics renaissance of like coming back to comics from, you know, since I was a little kid and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, I had another kind of Alex Ross discovery moment where I was like, you can do that, you know, mm-hmm. and just seeing them done in such a cool way. Like, I don't know, it just, it speaks to me on a level that's almost hard to articulate. And I, I just like something about it makes me, I guess there's something about being able to mimic or, you know, encapsulate what these multi-million dollar productions mm-hmm. do you know they've got i mean we're talking cameras and lenses and directors mm-hmm. and cinematographers and actors. Yes. you know 
I mean, all these things go into this multi-million dollar operation. And the fact that you can just do something similar with like a pencil and paper, you know, yes. mm-hmm. it just, it, I, I just love it. That's one of the things I love about comics. And a lot of people have a lot of umbrage or take umbrage with the notion of like comics being like movies or mm-hmm. comics seeming like they're made to be like a movie pitch. And it's like, for me, I think the the two share so much DNA in terms of like the capabilities of storytelling that yes it, it's almost inextricable for me like I my my love of movies comes out in my work I think so yes. I appreciate you noticing that thank you no yes because it's um because the the opening sequence and this isn't in our questioning script or anything but the opening sequence it felt like you know a very good James Bond opening sequence Thank you. I mean, that's a hundred percent what I was going for. I, <laughs> I structured this book very much like a Bond movie because, mm-hmm. or a Bond story rather, because the books mm-hmm. are, you know, the movies took their cue from the the novels. Yeah. Um. I I just love that that formula that, you know, the big opening sequence to introduce yes. you to the the key players and, you know, the stakes, and mm-hmm. then, um, you know, you get your title sequence, and then yes, you're off to the races from there, and then uh, yeah, and then. You know, I tried to put also a lot of exotic locales in this book because, yes. mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we go from 1940s Paris to, you know, the future in you mm-hmm. know, 30 years or so in the future in, in, yes. uh, you know, in uh, uh, Maryland. And then we're in, uh, you know, Belize at, at a at a Aztec or Mayan temple. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of go all over, you know, Dallas, Texas in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And and so. um yeah, I, I really wanted to kind of make it as as big of an adventure as I could. Okay. Um, do you want to give a shout out to um, any um, to those that help you on this book? Yes, thank you, uh, Brad Simpson, who colored mm-hmm. it, and Hassan Otamano How, who lettered it. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked together on Count as well, and I was That's super right. thrilled to have the team back together. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're ex- just wonderful, wonderful collaborators. And they just elevate the work so much, man. I mean, Brad's colors are just gorgeous, and like yes, they just right. pop. And yeah, his his the skies that he paints, and the mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the style that I draw in like isn't always easy for people to color, and he just mm-hmm. nails it every time. I mean, I don't, you know, he turns in a page, and it's just like awesome, thank you. Like, there's mm-hmm. no like, oh, can we, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. other than stuff I forgot to tell him, like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention this should be that color, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, for story reasons or whatever mm-hmm. but and then uh Haas I mean he just he does such cool things and takes so many risks with lettering that most people just don't think to do you know yes um, he does yeah like if you remember the motorcycle chase in the book yes um, mm-hmm. there's a scene where a train crashes with a motorcycle mm-hmm. and what you know the sound effect is crash right mm-hmm. And what Haas did is he made like the the front forks of the motorcycle and the handlebars like the A in the word crash. Oh. You know, it's just stuff like that he does to integrate mm-hmm. the sound effects into the 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 art. Like, um, it, you know, he's the only letterer that I I think that I've seen that does that. And mm-hmm. I, just, it, I mean, it, it makes it such a cohesive, you know, experience for everybody. I, I just love it. Okay, I'm gonna say because I remember the motors, the motorcycles you know, chasing the crash, but I'm going to say, I have to look that, I have to look at 
that panel again. The, it's one of those things that, you know, hopefully people can reread and go, oh, I didn't notice that the first yeah, time. You know? Because I didn't notice that. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Now, in your Word Balloon interview, you mentioned that retroactive is a complete story. Um, you did count for humanoids. That's your first book. This is your second book. Um, you have um, a third, you're, you're going to have a third graphic novel <clears throat> um, with humanoids. Now, I'm joking on this part. Is your next humanoids graphic novel going to be a romantic comedy? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, uh, I mean, I, I know you're joking, but I'm, I'm actually thinking seriously about this and I'm like, could I even do that? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that could be fun. The thing about it is like, I don't, part of the reason, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you really like sci-fi. And it's like, well, I do, but I like to draw certain cool, like I like to draw cool stuff. Yes. And I get, I have more fun drawing things that can happen in a sci-fi or, you know, light sci-fi style story mm -hmm. uh, than uh, I do just drawing like mundane everyday stuff. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I love crime as a genre. Yes. But you know, drawing and, and the cool thing about high crimes, for example, is like it took place on, like in Kathmandu and on Mount Everest. So I was getting to draw like different stuff every, mm -hmm. you know, um, but like if it was just kind of like a, you know, a crime story that took place in like Chicago or something, mm -hmm. I would probably be like, ah, you know. <laughs> uh, unless it's like James Bond, that's when I get the, you know, because you get the yeah. cool cars and the, you know, the mm -hmm. action and stuff. But yeah, I love drawing action and I love, Mm -hmm. you know like with count i got to design a whole world you know like it's oh, a okay. you know it's it's sci-fi and that it is almost like a sci-fi fantasy thing like it's mm -hmm. not you know there's no spaceships but there's like hovering vehicles and different mm -hmm. technology and yeah. i love that kind of stuff you know mm -hmm. okay um this is off the cuff question and i'm joking on this part and it's sort of a combination into um one of my last questions but um your third book, are, uh, I'm joking. Are you going to put in your contract, hey, I want to do a story in Hawaii. But, you know, Jason said, I need to come to Hawaii to make sure I get <laughs> things accurate. You know, because we don't want to put diamond, you know, I don't want to make diamond head look like a mounted, you right, know, and I have right. to, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just a quick little write-off, little tax write-off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. man, I would, I would love to, <laughs> you know, I and, should look into doing that. Yeah. And, and come on, Mark, you know, two, three months tops, man. I got to make sure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the culture, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, if, if Mark, if it were up to Mark, I bet he'd, he'd be like, yeah, you know what? I got to go with you. We got to. <laughs> <laughs> now this is going to lead um, to another question. And, and, I, and this is a serious question, but you know, have you and your family been to Hawaii? Yes. Um, oh. My wife and I did the obligatory honeymoon in Hawaii uh, in 2017. Oh, that was my nice. first time. And man, I loved it. I, you know, well, so where, where do you mind me asking whereabouts uh, in Hawaii you're at? I live on Oahu. Okay. Um, I live close to Pearl Harbor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we went to Kauai and then um, spent like two days on Maui before we left. But we spent the bulk of our time on Kauai. Um, man, this is the most magical, beautiful mm -hmm. place I've ever been to in yes. my life. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm envious that you get to, to enjoy it every day. 
<laughs> but I'm going to say no, but I think um, actually you guys went to the right islands because Kauai and Maui, you know, because if you come to Oahu, I mean, it's, I, I've heard other critics say, oh my God, this is so great here. You, know, you can see the mountains, the air is cleaner. You can see the ocean. I mean, no, and it's true. But the thing is, but Oahu and listeners know I'm not putting down Oahu, but, but, it's, but it's kind of like another metropolitan city. You know, you'll see buildings sure. around. But if you go to Kauai um, or Maui, and I'm trying to think, I don't think you'll see like, well, I think, no, you probably see like some high rises, but not, you know, it's, it'll yeah. stick out like a sore thumb, but then you see all the other beauties around it. Yeah. Yeah. When Maui was, you know, we were in a much more like touristy area, I think like it was mm-hmm. a lot of resort type of stuff and it didn't feel as much like we were having an authentic kind of view of, of the place we were in, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kauai did. I yes. loved it there. I, it was, I mean, it was just incredible. Like I, and uh, you know, it's, it's tough being, you know, like um, an American from the mainland and going to, you know, Hawaii and, and not feeling like kind of a piece of shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, because, you know, I mean, I'm very aware of like, like even just where I am from and, and where I've lived is very gentrified and like, you know, people come in and buy up land and, and screw, yes. screw over the people who are from there and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, and also I'm, I'm as a, as a, you know, I'm happy Egyptian and person of color. Like I'm, I'm keenly aware of, of the struggles of like other folks who mm-hmm. have to deal with like white colonialism and imperialism and stuff like that. And so um, it, it was a mix of like really enjoying myself and also trying not to like, I guess, take up more space than I felt mm-hmm. like I should in terms mm-hmm. of like having a footprint, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like trying to be very conscious of, of my presence and, and someone else's like yeah. area, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'm going to lead up with a um, off the cuff question. Did you guys enjoy the food here? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yes. The best thing I ate the entire time was there was this, somebody told us about like this grocery store that had like a, like a sushi bar mm-hmm. in the back of it. Yeah. And we got poke bowls and like went and watched the sunset in this park. And it was just like, it was like the best meal slash experience I've ever had. Like it was mm-hmm. just incredible. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, really lovely, man. I, I, I can't stress enough how much I love. In fact, I was just thinking about it yesterday. What a nice time that was. And I always, I tell my wife every few months, like, remember when we did that? Like that was lovely. Yeah. And she planned it all, you know, so yeah. kudos to her for, doing the research and you know yeah mm-hmm. it was it was great and i man it was so cool to just see like chickens walking around yes yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. that's okay <laughs> yeah i guess yeah it's a little different when you, you know it's a it's a vacation and not every day right but <laughs> yeah um i just you know i would love to have chickens here in my yard like we, <laughs> our our dog would he's got a very high prey drive so there's no way we could do it he would just be trying to get them all the time but um, yeah, like I just think they're they're pretty amazing little creatures, you know. Like, and they they lay eggs and you can eat them. Like that's incredible, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, and they they help fertilize gardens and stuff. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, I, I'm going off on a tangent now. But. No, no, no. I'm sorry because I'm laughing. No, that's fine because I'm kind of laughing. And I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I don't need to take up your more time. Oh no, no, no. Are you Give okay me... if I can? 
So, oh, please get real, man. Let me hear I'll it. I'll <laughs> tell you a funny story. So, um, back in nine, oh, so for Kauai, um, because me and my wife, we went to Kauai, oh, I can't remember, something in the last 10 years. And, you know, we kept noticing all the, and we noticed all these chickens running around. We're like, oh my God. And then we took like um, one of those, um, one of these tour guide things to one of the beaches or something, I can't remember. So the tour guide was, the, the, the tour guide was explaining to us, yeah, so if you guys notice all these chickens running around, it's because what happened was, and he was saying like, back in, I think it was like either 1991 or 1992, the, the big, um, the major hurricane, Hurricane Iniki, when it hit the Kauai, you know, it, it, it pretty much almost, it, it pretty, did pretty much, um, you know, there was like huge um, damage to the islands, but it destroyed a bunch of chicken coops. So all these chickens that, you know, were, you know, that got free, start to roam the islands. And then yeah. from there, it just, the population just went crazy. You know, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. There were also a lot of uh, like wild boar out on the oh, place, yes. you know? Yeah. I was worried about like, you know, driving, uh, and just in case they shoot, I didn't, I, you know, cause I, it was new to me. I didn't know if they were like, do they run out in the street? Like, like deer do here yeah. or like, you know, <laughs> so. Uh, no, I, if I, if I remember correctly, I don't think so. I think more, the boars are more, I think if, if like, um, farms or like if, have, um, um, homes that have gardens, some type of like a, like, um, like vegetable gardens. And yeah, stuff. Th yeah. Th the main thing is they'll they'll start digging up and eating roots and stuff. That's yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I bet it's a headache if you if you have to deal with them every day. You know, for me it was just this like, oh my god, look at that. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm gonna say because um because I'm I'm sure from like because for me and my wife if when we go up you know if we go to Portland or something if we see like you know a couple of deers in a park I'm like oh that's so cool but then yeah. I'm sure residents go, no, you don't, they, they overpopulate. You don't realize, you know. <laughs> Do you, does Hawaii have squirrels? I never thought about no. that. Uh -uh. Oh gosh. I mean, I see 20 squirrels a day here. Wow. I bet it's probably like, if you were to come here, you'd be like, oh wow, look at that. You yeah, know, no, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Um, the the, thing the we... squirrels are our chickens. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if I come up there, you know, be like, oh, yeah, look here, I'll throw penis to the squirrels. I'm sure you'd be like, no, stop that. <laughs> you know? My neighbors, somewhere in my neighborhood, somebody feeds them peanuts. And oh they, like, have, like, a feeder out for the for the squirrels. And then the squirrels will come and bury their the peanuts and, like, and like cat food and stuff and dog oh, food. They bury yeah. it in my yard. Oh. And then my dog loves to go out and dig them up and eat them. <laughs> and so it's like they have their own little like kind of ecosystem it's funny <laughs> all right i'm sorry i'm gonna start i'm gonna yeah. start wrapping things <laughs> up um um now oh um one thing i wanted to mention was um um are you open to do commissions i i do i'm not currently taking any uh just because okay. i have you know a lot of work i have to do but yeah i do love doing commissions um and actually, if you go to my website, there's a, a link that says store mm -hmm. on there. And if you click that, it'll take you to my, my online store. And I have a, a you know, there's, there's a commissions tab on there. So people can see like some examples of the ones I do and, and what they cost and all that stuff. So 
but yeah, like I just finished that Indiana Jones one I mentioned. That was a ton yes. of fun. Um, I just happened to have a bit of a window and, and he was on my waiting list. So I was like, hey, you want to do that? And he said, yep, let's do it. So oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Do you do you collect art yourself or? No, because of cost and space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and- yeah. How how am I how am I gonna hide that from my wife? You know, uh, there's no hiding because you want to you want to put it up, you know, and then yeah. like, where did where'd you get that? Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I went to the convention center today, and and I just found this. Yeah, <laughs> don't hey, check you guys, it. Mm-hmm. You have a, a there's a pretty good uh, convention in Hawaii, right? We have a handful of conventions. Um, the big one was the amazing Com- well the only reason why i'm saying was is because of the pandemic yeah um is the amazing comic con and they f- started to come they they first came down in uh, 2016 20 i can't remember but you know they're the first major one from the mainland to come down yeah and that was great because um um because you know they they really brought big name stars down i mean yeah. the first time they came down when stan lee was alive he was the main attraction and yeah. i think they brought george perez who, i mean that one they went all out yeah. yeah well you know from from their perspective it's pretty easy to get people to agree <laughs> to come <Yeah>. down, you know <laughs> oh i gotta go to hawaii for work okay yeah. you know? <laughs> and then um we have Comic-Con Honolulu and also, you know, but that one's pretty good too, because that one's a mixture of, they'll, you know, they bring, they bring, um, they, they bring some of the top name stars of today, but then also too, they bring like legendary creators down too. So that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. And then um, Maui has their own convention. It's um, the Maui Comic-Con. Um, the, owner um actually one of the organizers one of the co-organizers is alika seki he is the owner of maui's comics and collectibles him and i can't remember his friend's name that they started that up i think three or four years ago um the good thing about alika was he always he said he wanted to just keep it as a grassroots thing so when basically what it is that they'll bring like two or three comic book creators and they'll have local artists but the thing is he wants to make sure it's free to the public oh that's cool that's yeah that's really cool yeah so yeah that's awesome it sounds like there's a a a decent spread of stuff down there to enjoy you know obviously when we're not locked down and everything yeah you know (laughs) there is so there is um i'm gonna start wrapping things up um what is the most fun or exciting things you love working in comics Oh gosh. I think just being able to like draw every day is, mm-hmm. is so, you know, it can be a chore sometimes, but like, I mean, I worked, you know, 10 different jobs before being a comics professional and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't have a commute. I get to mm-hmm. eat my lunch out of the fridge. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like I can cook whatever I want. Like yes. I, my dog's around. I see my mm-hmm. wife a lot, you know, so yeah. I think just the general lifestyle uh, of ease and like lack of, you know, dealing with some of the more uh, difficult hardships of like, the, you know, the typical nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I think that's, that's what keeps me going every day in a lot of ways. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And um, so I'm kind of going off the cuff, but I think what's really cool is like you said, when you watch that X-Men 
um, the animated series, you saw Wolverine, you immediately drew Wolverine and you still have it. You still have that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, same with like, I have, you know, old Ninja Turtle drawings and, and I was really into Mortal Kombat when I was a little kid and I've mm-hmm. got some of that sitting around and yeah, I mean, to be able to, I mean, you know, you obviously you can't see too much because of my computer monitor, but I'm surrounded by my action figures and, mm-hmm. you know, like things that just represent the stuff that I love that yeah. I've loved my whole life, you know, like it's, it feels very, um, very rewarding and fulfilling to be able to still be uh, true to all that those parts of myself that, that make me feel happy and nostalgic and all that, yes. you know? Yeah. That is so cool. Okay. Favorite convention moment. Oh man. So many. Well, I mean, uh, if you have a couple, that's fine. Or, you know, we have time. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll tell you what, what was my most important convention moment. So probably okay. easily one of my favorites, uh, you know, when you're trying to break in, they do portfolio reviews at these things. And so you can, you know, mm-hmm. they'll have a, a Marvel editor at the, at the booth from like, you know, four to six. And then a, mm-hmm. you know, somebody from DC from noon to two or whatever. And, and uh, Bob Shrek, who, you know, is mm-hmm. a very legendary editor edited, I believe Sin City, he was, you know, or the dark Knight returns. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of the most prolific editors in, in comics history. Um very nice guy and he was doing a portfolio review and i went up to his booth with some pages i had drawn from my first like self-published thing that i wrote andrew myself this is back in you know probably 2011 something mm-hmm. like that and uh you know i i had you could tell that i had promise if i kept at it but i wasn't there yet you know mm-hmm. and i was inking everything with like pens like micron pens and it was very mm-hmm. you know and I remember I had, there was a barn in one of these pages and, and I had taken a ruler and I had done every board in the yes. barn. And, and uh, he says to me like, look, man, you got, you've got something here. If you keep at it, you know, you'll get there. He goes, but he goes, what are you inking with? And I said, micron pens. He said, nah, you got to use a brush, man. He goes, mm-hmm. you, like, you see this barn? I know it's a barn, but it's too pristine. Like it's too mm-hmm. clean. Like, I'm not going to step in horse shit inside of this barn. He goes, mm-hmm you got to use a brush, get the gnarls and the wood and the, mm-hmm. you know, the knots and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you know, go over. He goes, he goes, um, uh, where are you from? I said, Portland. He goes, perfect. You throw a rock, you'll hit a comic book artist. He goes, look up Steve Lieber, tell him Bob Shrek sent you, tell him I'll kick his ass. If he doesn't let you watch him ink for an afternoon, you know, you can buy him lunch or whatever. And he, you know, and he goes, and just, just, we'll see what he does and, you know, watch him. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then I thought, well, I'm at a convention. Like Steve Lieber's right over there. Yeah. So why don't I just go talk to him now? <laughs> and Steve, bless his heart, man. He, he took the time at his table. You know, conventions are a time when people are trying to sell books and do mm-hmm. commissions and stuff. And, and he took the time to give me some demonstrations and look at my portfolio and tell me what worked and what didn't. And, um, you know, then he sent me to another artist from his studio who gave me some other pointers and and so from there man i I just i i rethought my whole approach to inking and Mm -hmm. and, you know the way i i draw and that set me on the path that i you know have been on ever since and so um i think that's probably my favorite convention moment just because it was so pivotal and i actually became friends with bob trek after that which was cool too and wonderful guys so yeah that's that would be my answer wow but uh, that is so cool that bob's going 
where do you live? Okay, yeah, look up Steve Lever. Tell him, you know, I sent you. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. yeah, he was so, he was very gracious and giving with that, you know, and like, and it's funny because he would tell people, like, as I stood in line and, yeah. you know, I'd hear him talk to other people. And if, if somebody was just not looking like yeah. they were going to have yeah. the chops, he would tell them, like, go do something else, man. He's on being real with you, you know, like not yeah. to, not to discourage you, but like, you know, uh, unless you're able to kind of put in a full-time jobs worth of time on this, like mm-hmm. it might not be in the cards for you. you yeah. Know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Which I think is, you know, it's important for people to hear, I think, because some people would go, I'm going to prove them wrong. And then yeah. they would. And they've, I know people, at least one person has broken in mm-hmm. and done well for themselves after hearing that from him. Yeah. So, you know, um, some people would disagree with that approach and I can see why that wouldn't be the best for everybody, but Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, really, really nice. And then for Steve to take the time and everything and, you know, and all these years later to give me a quote for retroactive, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, next convention or store signing appearance. That I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna be um, signing a bunch of copies at retro of retroactive at a local comic shop here called Comics Cave PDX. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the Kenton neighborhood of Portland. An owner named Doug, wonderful guy. Um, but I don't. I think that's probably gonna be like I'll go in. Um, I, we're not doing like a signing. It's more like I'm gonna oh, okay. show up and you know yeah. <laughs> sign copies for him for his shelf. But we are gonna be doing at some point like an Instagram live kind of like a sort of virtual in-store mm-hmm. kind of thing. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. Page, so people can check that out. Yeah. On mm-hmm. Instagram. Okay. Yeah. I'm hoping once the pandemic is, you know, obviously we're, we're heading toward another surge and, yeah. you know, so just mm-hmm. trying to play it safe. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's yeah. understandable. Yeah. Um, any closing words to our listeners? Um, just a, a thanks again to, to you and Drew for having me. And, um, you know, if anybody is, uh interested in what we talked about today please check out uh retroactivecomic.com and you can watch a trailer for the book uh that i put together and then there's a link to order it um Mm -hmm. and uh you know please uh support your local comic shops and uh recycle (laughs) ibrahim thank you very much thank you um i wish you all the success with retroactive Mahalo. Thank you in Hawaiian. Thank you for your time. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to interview. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate no, it. No, thank you. And I also want to thank Hannah of Superfan Promotions for help setting up this interview. Hannah, thank you very much. Um, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out Retroactive, an original graphic novel from Humanoids. You know, um, you know, it, like I said, it's a, it's a thrilling sci-fi action story and it has, you know, it has heart. The story really has heart. That, that's all I can describe to it. Um, you know, and as Ibrahim, and as Ibrahim has pointed out, it's like, it's also one of those stories that, because to me, I want to reread it again because there, I, there's a couple things I've, I know I've missed. So, yeah. So, you know, thank you. No, no, you're welcome. And, you know, um, when this interview comes out, it, the book will be out in stores. If your shop does not carry it, please ask them to order it for you. Um, I want to thank Drew, the host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. 
And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you um, for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Prepare yourself for Dork Day Afternoon, a brand new actual play podcast. You performers. Oh, that's fun. The brainchild of two brothers spawned from their desire to crush the fictional hopes and dreams of their friends and loved ones. You remember what I said about being a, a monster of a GM? Someone has to be a monster, and the GM's the one who probably should be. Two shows every week. On Mondays, coming to you from the end of the world, two past midnight, a Twilight 2000 4th edition campaign. As if being in prison wasn't stress enough. War is hell, gentlemen. And on Thursdays, the circus comes to town with Encore of the Lost, a playthrough of the Extinction Curse AP, written for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Failure to know! What is it, pumpkin? I'm looking at pumpkins! Roll for initiative. Natural 20 for a total of 24. 25. F*** you. (laughs) (laughs) Dork Day Afternoon. Listen, your life might just depend on it.